Good morning. It is so good to be back with you. And I just appreciate Jordan Clark for filling in while uh, I was out. And I uh, do want to thank all of you for your prayers, uh, especially my friend Jose, who came to pray with me and uh, get through some of this stuff. And, you know, God is good. I tell you, God is good. Amen. God is good. All the time, God is good. Uh, and it's interesting to me, uh, I, went, I went for my eye checkup later in the week, and um, as Dr. Clue was looking at my eyes, he was like, man, he was sort of shaking his head, because I was going through that little eye chart thing and everything, and he told me, he said, your eyes are better than they were before. Get that, get that. Now, what he said was that when I ripped the corneas off, when I took the, I, I don't know if I told everybody this yet or not, but when I ripped my corneas, when I took my contacts out, he said, it's sort of like when the doctor will cut the cornea back to do the LASIK surgery or whatever that is, the surgery they do. And he said, basically, you did that to yourself. How about that? I mean, you can call me Dr. Tim now. Right? Dr. Turner, come over, fix my eyes for me. Um, I don't think you'd want that. But, you know, as we approach Thanksgiving this week, I hope that we will all look at uh, all of those things in our lives that we have to be thankful for. I mean, even coming out of some difficult situations, we can find things that we can be grateful for and thankful for. So I wish for you that you and your family will have a very happy Thanksgiving. Maybe the difficulty for us is that we don't live in very thankful times. Would you agree with me on that? Have you ever lived in a more polarized time in our culture? Uh, I, I'm just going to say a word or a phrase, and I'm not going to say one word good or bad about it. I'm just going to say the word or phrase. And if you have had an uncomfortable conversation with a friend or family member about that word or phrase, just raise your hand, okay? So <laughs> somebody raised their hand. I, I didn't even say the word or phrase. I just raised their hand. All right. Um, Israel and Palestine. Anybody? Anybody? Maybe it could be Facebook conversations that weren't very uh, comfortable, okay? Republican and Democrat, right? Election time. How about abortion? How about LGBTQ? How about BLM? Again, no matter what your opinion is about any of these issues, they can cause division if we let them. These are all issues, hot topics of the day that can cause us to be far from grateful and thankful. They cause divisive and angry responses from people if they hear an opinion that they don't agree with. And sadly, the polarized state of our nation is not shocking. We feel the division. We hear it. We see it. We read it. Just turn the TV on. Listen on the radio. Open up your newspapers, if anybody still uses those things. 
And yet most of us think, well, that's not me. I'm not divisive. <laughs> Until we take a closer look and ask ourselves, do I have friends who think differently than me? How many of you have friends that think differently than you? <laughs> I would say, I hope that we all have friends that may have different opinions than we have, right? For many of us, our religious and ideological differences and politics place stress on the relationships that matter most, even within families. I've heard of folks over Thanksgiving dinner getting into arguments about things. We know all the things that divide us. Even while Jesus prays for unity, our egos push back on him because we want to win a fight rather than save a soul. Isn't that true many times? Now here's a novel idea. What if we focused on the things that unite us as much as the things that divide us? And so here's the big idea for today. There is so much that divides us, but gratitude can unite us. Think about that. Gratitude, an attitude of gratitude, can unite us. So let's go to God in prayer. Father, help us to see and believe the best in one another. Help us to be grateful for others and grateful for the sacrifice Jesus made for all people. Not just us. Not just people that think like me. But Jesus died for everyone. And as we approach Thanksgiving Day, Father, help us to realize every day is a day to give thanks to you. Um, Father, may we not get so caught up in the hatred of our culture, the divisions of our culture, and what the culture wants to impose upon us. But may we love others as you have loved us and remember all of the blessings that you have poured into our lives so that we might exhibit that attitude of gratitude. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, as we think about it, the importance of gratitude and creating an, a unity, let's just start with the early church. I want to think about how gratitude and their unity together was so vital for them. Now, since the beginning of time, mankind has found reasons to be divided. All you got to do is look at the first couple, Adam and Eve, when their sin was caught, when it became evident to them that they were caught, what did they do? They threw each other under the bus, right? Cain, and, Cain killed his brother Abel because God blessed Abel's sacrifice. Jealousy, right? The early history of man was filled with bloodshed and hatred and malice. Did you know that the reason God sent a flood was because of the violence of mankind? It was so bad that God decided, I'm going to start over. And he sent a flood, but he reserved a remnant of man through the ark. It wouldn't take long for man's pride and ego to continue to bring about division. So that by the time of the early church, mankind was still divided. The Pharisees and the religious leaders of the Jews rejected Jesus and his followers. Of course, uh, you had the Jews and the Samaritans who had great animosity 
towards each other. You had the Romans who ruled over the Jews and uh, they hated the Jews and the Jews hated the Romans because they ruled over them. And as the church began to spread, we discover that it existed at a time where many people were, were searching for something to believe. I mean, they were fed up with what was going on, the status quo in religion. When Paul went to Athens, he spoke at a meeting of what was called the Areopagus. We read about this in Acts 17, beginning in verse 19. And then they took him, that is Paul, and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. And then there's this sort of footnote in the scripture. It says, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. That's where they got their podcast, right? It, it's sort of in our nature to debate and to argue different opinions. This is sort of a human trait, isn't it? I mean, it sort of sets us apart from the animals. How many of you ever seen two animals debating philosophy? Anybody? Well, I guess somebody could say, well, if I understood their language, maybe, maybe we would see that. I think my dogs debate something all the time, but um, that's another story. The early church was made up of many people from many different backgrounds. They came from all walks of life. And Jesus knew this was going to happen. He knew that our tendency towards division uh, would create problems. And so that's why Jesus prayed for unity in his church. In John 17, 11, we read, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be what? One as we are one. You see, Jesus wanted his followers to be one. That's called unity. And after his death and resurrection, a faith community arose. And from them, unity was a goal of their faith. Being God's answer to Jesus' prayer was like a priority to them. In Colossians 3.14, we read, And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect what? Unity. Oh, let's try that again. Uh, it binds them all together in perfect what? Unity. 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 Notice in Ephesians how one goal of growing in Christ and serving Him is to reach unity in the faith. In Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 11. So Christ Himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip His people for works of service so that the body of Christ, that is the church, may be built up until we all reach what? Unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You know, as we see the early church following the apostles, uh, we see how they were different 
from their culture. Early historians and philosophers recognized that this ragtag group that called themselves Christians had rejected cultural norms of staying within their class. You know what class means, right? It means, well, you're not so, you, you poor people aren't supposed to associate with you rich people. Or you slaves are not supposed to associate with uh, other people. You, you stay within your class. Celsus, a second century Greek philosopher, and he was an early opponent of Christianity as well, said Christians were an ignorant folk. I think the same thing is being said even in our culture today. And although he spoke these words unkindly, he wasn't entirely wrong because most of the Christian community came from the poor and the uneducated. They were the opposite of the socially elite. But the church came together as one, overcoming those class distinctions. So for the first three centuries, the Christian majority was a mixed bag that mostly belonged to society's lower classes. There were some who were scholars, but not many. There were some who were wealthy, but most were poor. There was a mixed ethnicity of Jews and Gentiles, Greeks and Asians. The early church found itself striving for unity as they grew into this melting pot of divergent groups. There were rich and poor Jews and Gentiles, slaves and free, males and females, so that Paul would write in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for we are all, what? One in Christ Jesus. Unity, regardless of the divisions the world wants to create, we come together as one. And to add to this, the early church suffered under intense persecution. Early Christians were the religious minority and they were despised by the unbelieving political and religious majority. They were laughed at, they were mocked, they were spit upon, they were falsely accused of all kinds of crimes and physically forced to submit to totalitarian governments. Life was hard. If they gave in to the trials and the hardships that they suffered, they would be robbed of every ounce of joy. However, the early church chose to be united in Christ and they experienced a peace and a joy that the culture around them could not understand. And it was that unity in Christ that in many ways helped them maintain their attitude of gratitude. But I would also say that gratitude helped them maintain that unity. Unifying the body of Christ was a top priority of its leaders as they sought to overcome their differences by focusing on their shared faith. The unifier 
was the Eucharist, the taking of communion, which we just did, the Lord's Supper. It grounded them in gratitude. So as we consider what unifies us, the early church looked to the Eucharist. Again, the Lord's Supper or communion. In the early church, the Christians gathered on the first day of the week. Now, we also see that they, they came together every day as much as they could. They met in each other's homes. Uh, the Sabbath of the Jews was the seventh day of the week. What is the seventh day of the week? It's Saturday, okay? Um, Christians began meeting on Sunday because that is the day of Jesus' resurrection. The services were not purposed to call the faithful to repentance or to make them aware of sin's magnitude. Their sole purpose for gathering was to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus through communion, the Eucharist. It was a service of remembrance and gratitude for God's grace. Every Sunday, at least that would be our, uh, my belief, the Christians met together and shared a communion service. In Acts 20 and verse 7, on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Uh, now, I believe that is a reference to the celebration of the Lord's death, which we call communion. We also believe they did this every week. That would be my belief. Um, it might look a little different than we do it today. It would be hard for us to fully observe communion as they did. But what we share in common with them is the very purpose of communion. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So the Eucharist or communion or the Lord's Supper was the DNA of the early church worship. Instead of believers every Sunday morning waking up and saying, we're going to church today, they probably would have said, we're going to Eucharist today. Until the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century, Christian worship centered around communion, which was, in their mind, their highest act of worship. Their gatherings were happy occasions. According to theologian and historian Gusto or, or Justo Gonzalez, every Sunday was like an Easter celebration. Before taking communion, believers would offer gratitude to God, recounting at length His acts and testifying to the power of His Holy Spirit. Following the communion meal, believers shared in the second round of gratitude prayers. And after these prayers, they would move into a time of caring for one another's physical needs by taking up an offering and sharing of their resources. That's the picture of the early church that we actually read in Acts 2. Uh, in uh, Acts 2, beginning in verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. 
Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So this passage reveals to us that, again, they would come together, they would eat together, they would share life together, they were glad, they had generous hearts, they were praising God, they had goodwill for all people, even in the midst of their suffering and their persecution and the hatred that the culture poured onto them, they had thankful hearts. And amongst all their differences and stresses, what unified the believers in practice, in spirit, in mind, is this attitude of gratitude. So let's think a little bit about the power of corporate gratitude. When the body of Christ comes together with a thankful heart and spirit. Now, how many of you have ever played church league ball of any sorts? Raise your hand if you've played church league basketball, church league softball. Raise them. Some of you sort of got them up this way. Um, it, it's been a few years since I've been able to do anything like that. But, you know, I have often heard people say, uh, especially people that were the referees or the umpires in these games, they would say, the worst games that I ever called were church league games. Now, I don't know if Leon Page is here today. Leon is a referee, an umpire. He's called many games. Uh, and I think he, is actually, uh, he has actually agreed with that statement. Um, isn't it sad that people who call themselves Christians, playing in a church league, would act so poorly that they gain that kind of reputation? I tell you, there, there is no tension like the tension in a church. As humans living as the body of Christ, we are well aware of the pain and trouble we can intentionally or unintentionally cause one another. Have you ever been in a church where people really hurt each other's feelings? Have you ever experienced that? Uh, different passions and convictions can fuel much of the trouble within the church. Church politics have ruined plenty of preachers and church leaders alike, not to mention the innocent folks who become the collateral damage to the verbal bombs that are going off. The phrases such as these, this is how I see it, or that's not what I think, or if you could only see things my way, <laughs> does any of that ever sound familiar to you? Or, we've never done it that way before. And by God, we're never going to do it that way as long as I'm here. Right? You know, if you've ever heard that kind of... It's so sad. A friend of mine was in a church years ago. They had like this formal communion celebration every Sunday. They had the communion table set down. It had the words in remembrance of me. And... The communion emblems were on top of the table, and covering the emblems was a sheet, right? So every Sunday, the elders would, would come down, they would march down. Very formally, they would take the ends of that sheet, 
And they would fold it, maybe similar to the way you might have seen an American flag folded. And, and then they would pass out the communion. It was very, very, very formal. Well, a new, new preacher came to town, and he thought, you know, that, that's taken a lot of unnecessary time there to do all the formality. You know, I, I don't think we need to have the sheet on top of the communion. Well, you would have thought he was the spawn of Satan, you know. Bitter words were thrown at him. How could you be so liberal? Your evil is removing the sacred sheet from over our communion. As long as most of them had been alive and going to that church, that sheet had covered those communion trays. Now he did a little investigating, and he found one of the original members of the church who was there. And he asked that member, well, well have you always done this? What, why did you start putting the sheet over the communion? And the guy said, well, you know, back then, our building, we had no air conditioning. And so in the summers, it would get so hot, we'd have to open the windows. We open the windows and the flies come in. They get all in the communion. And so we put the sheet over the communion, keep the flies out. So by the time the new preacher came, so many people were dug into their version of what the communion should be that it caused this division. And all over a practical, not a religious motive for using a sheet. You know, we know good and well that when good people with deeply felt passions within the church begin bumping heads, things can go south very quickly. And many times it's over stuff that doesn't really matter. The color of the carpet, the color of the chairs, you know, how we decorate the building. I don't like the color on the back wall. You know, we can have all kinds of things that we put up as something to argue about. The early church understood that focusing on God's grace in our life through corporate gratitude is a strong unifier that places us on a level playing field. Why should we have gratitude? Now that sounds like a silly question. But it's a position before God that reminds all of us what we do not deserve. And as soon as you take that posture, that I understand that I do not deserve what God has done for me, and that I am no better than anyone else, that I don't deserve it more than anyone that I know, that can create an attitude of gratitude. In Romans 3, beginning in verse 20, Therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law we become conscious of our sin. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. 
Do you understand that we're all in the same pot? We're all on the same level. We've all sinned. Yes, I know this may shock you, but your preacher has sinned. I'm not perfect. Far from it. So we cannot become arrogant or consider ourselves better than others. We are all sinners who have fallen short of the glory and the grace of God. And we should all be grateful for that grace that saves us. Amen? Amen. And when someone doesn't understand that truth, rather than hating them, we should pray for them. Just look at social media. You'll, you'll see the divisions. I have a good friend who will remain unnamed who shares a love of Jesus with me, but he also shares a love of my favorite Tar Heels. <laughs> and he posted something on a Tar Heel social media page about his thoughts concerning a player. Um, now, on these pages, every team has them. They're filled with people that love that team. But if you have a different opinion about something going on with that team, oh boy, it gets rough. It was actually about uh, a, a player named Baycott who plays for Carolina. He's a five-year player, and he's breaking all these records, and he just didn't feel like uh, he was that great a player that Maybe he was breaking records that players had for, who had only played three or four years. Well, again, you would have thought he was the spawn of Satan, right? The anger that spewed out to him was crazy. I mean, people just coming at him, you know. I thought about saying something in defense of my friend. I thought about typing in, I, I know this friend. He's a good man. Don't hold this, you know, terrible opinion against him. Uh, but I didn't want to get caught up in the vitriol, so I sort of left him out there hanging to dry, you know. I, I, did, I did call him up, and I did console him, and, uh, but, but, but this is where we are today. We have to be so careful what we say and how we say it. In a fit of hurt or anger or frustration, we need to check our loving hearts, our God-given conscience the spirit of grace before we get behind these little screens. Impassioned, we pound away on our keyboard, blasting our opinion, stating what is right, and getting in people's online faces. And all the while knowing our words could cause pain, emotionally cutting and tearing down our brothers and sisters in Christ. 